All right, all right. Well, hello, my name is Adam, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here today. And today, we're going to be continuing our series, What Would Jesus Say? So you may remember those, those bracelets that were popular a few years back, What Would Jesus Do? Well, that's kind of a tall order. I mean, what would Jesus do? Jesus raised people from the dead. He turned water into wine. That's kind of hard. But anybody can look at what Jesus said and apply it to their life. So we're doing our series now, What Would Jesus Say? And we're looking at controversial topics in the Bible and looking at Jesus' words on that. And when I saw that I was scheduled to preach for controversial topics in the Bible, I was like, yes, awesome. What kind of juicy topics am I going to be preaching on? And then I saw next to my name, it says we be talking about faith. And I kind of went, a little bit. But faith actually is really controversial when I sat down and thought about it. I mean, think about it like this. You're hanging out with your buddies, or you're on the water cooler at work, and you bring up your faith, and it's kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's getting a little personal there. It's kind of like off-limit. It's like politics. It's like understood that you just don't talk about it. You're at a party, you don't bring up politics, you don't bring up faith. I started thinking this week, why is that? And I think this is the reason, because people have a misunderstanding of what faith is. So Christians, and and I'm guilty of this too, I feel like we have a need to explain ourselves, to defend ourselves all the time, to to argue a point. And it, it kind of feels like if you can only just make a really good argument, then people will see the error of their ways and convert to Christianity. And that, although well intentioned, isn't really the best way to go about it. It makes us into like, like a religious salesman in a way. And nobody wants to be sold religion to. So people just, it just becomes off-limits conversation. You don't talk about your faith. But we are called to make disciples. We are called to share our faith. It's just important to remember that the gospel is not a what. The gospel is a who. All right? Christianity is a system of beliefs. Faith is something different. So what is faith? I propose today that faith is a perspective. So let me tell you something about faith. Faith is not contagious. You're not going to be able to catch faith by sitting next to somebody who's really faithful. You can't catch faith from your grandmother. You can't catch faith from your mother. I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about singing a song and hearing a message. I'm talking about real life change. I'm talking about a change in the way you live, change in the way you think, change in the way you raise your kids, change in the way you handle stress. If your life isn't changing, then this is not working for you. And I suspect it might not be working because there is a misunderstanding of what faith is. So I propose here today, faith is a perspective. Picture, Picture this. Picture your heart your soul, your mind, as a neighborhood. And faith lives in the neighborhood, but it doesn't live there alone. Down the road lives anger. Across the street lives stress. Next door lives anxiety. Depression's camped out above the garage. And when you came in here today, you brought the whole gang with you. I don't care how faithful you are. I don't care if you've been saved for 50 years or for five minutes. You are struggling with some level of, of doubt here today. And depending on what happened this week, depending on what you saw, depending on what you read, depending on what happened at work, that level of doubt is going to increase or decrease. The goal is for faith 
to permeate every level of your life, to gradually take over the neighborhood, house by house, street by street, until you're working your job according to faith, until you're raising your kids according to faith, until you're choosing your spouse according to faith. So what is faith exactly? Let's get a definition of faith here. Hebrews 11.1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is a substance. Faith is the evidence. Evidence is a legal term. Evidence proves something in a court of law. So faith is the proof of a choice. Faith is an expression on the outside of a choice that you have made on the inside. Faith is a choice. I'm saying that you can choose to make decisions based on faith or based on fear. You can choose to make decisions based on faith or based on finances. You can choose to make decisions based on faith or based on the expectations that people have of you. It is a choice. And I'll be real with you, it's a whole lot easier to talk about it, to to teach on it, than it is to actually walk in it. But it's an important choice, and it's one that saves us. Faith in Jesus is what saves us. What What would Jesus say about faith? He says, your faith has healed you. So many times throughout the Bible, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Ephesians 2.8 says, you have been saved through your faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. I'm saying it's not the work you do. It's the faith you have that motivates you to do the work. Faith in Jesus is a choice that saves you. But let me show you something. So I have an illustration here. I have a, uh, a map of a parking lot. And this is a map of the parking lot that was outside my dorm room in college. Now, this is a student lot. You're going to hear me say that a couple times because it's important. This is a student lot. But we did share it with a couple of the teachers. The front left section, there's like two white spots and those are signs. The front left section is the teacher parking. But the rest of it, student parking. All right? Now, for whatever reason, I don't know if like the school sold more parking passes than there were spots available, but you come back at night and there'd be like 15 cars just circling the parking lot like vultures, waiting for somebody to come out and go to their car, and then they'd all like rush over and try and get the spot. And um, so I realized something. If you zoom in on a little bit, these are the two signs, and it, it separated the teacher parking spots from the rest of the student lot, okay? And I realized something. There's this space that nobody would ever park in between the two signs. And if it's not teacher parking, that must mean it's a student spot because this is the student lot, all right? So when I realized this, I come back at night and everybody would be circling the parking lot like a bunch of chumps, and I would go right to that spot every time it'd be open. It was like my own personal parking spot right up front. It was awesome. I did this for months. And then one day, I came out, and to my surprise, my shock, there was a ticket on my car. So I went down to the parking office, and I brought with me my diagrams, and I explained to them the mistake that they made. And this is what they said to me. They said, the authority is the officer that gave the ticket, and that's what we're going to go by. I'm still a little bit bitter about this, if you can't tell. (laughs) But it makes, it, it makes a point, and I'm saying this today because I want you to understand that the rules by themselves are meaningless. It's the authority behind the rules that matters. I mean, think about a $100 bill. 
So a lot of you, if you had a $100 bill, you think you have some money here. You know, you could buy stuff with it. You could do things, and, and it's, you perceive that it has value. But I'm going to take you back to eighth grade social studies for a minute. In America, we have a fiat money system, which means that that $100 is not backed up by any commodity. It is just a piece of paper. The only thing that gives that piece of paper any weight or any value is the authority behind it that says it is worth something. So it is the authority that matters, that gives value to things. So what does this mean for us? Well, I'm going to share something with you right now. This is, um, I'm going to talk about Abraham. Abraham was an important biblical figure. Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. God made a covenant with Abraham that we are experiencing even today. And the scripture says this, Abraham was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit, it was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. So God is the authority in this situation. And he says, I'm going to count Abraham as righteous. Now, Abraham is, is an important figure. He's somebody that you probably learned about in Sunday school. You know, you hear the song like, Father Abraham had many sons. No? Just me? Okay. <laughs> but Abraham is this important biblical figure. But there's some things you probably don't often hear about with Abraham. God told Abraham that he was going to have uh, a child. He was an old man. And he didn't believe God. He laughed in God's face when God told him that. He lied about his relationship with his wife. He went to a foreign land and he told everybody that his wife was his sister. And he essentially sold her to another man. Oh yeah, you don't learn about that in Sunday school. But the thing is, Abraham was making mistakes. He screwed up because he was human, just like you and just like me. And God told Abraham, if you have faith, if you believe in me, I will count it as righteousness. He's saying you could not go to class, you could not turn in an assignment, you could skip the test, and if you show up on the last day and smile at the professor, he's going to count it as an A. And let me tell you, how it counts is really what matters. If you go get a job and your employer asks to see your transcript, all they see is that letter. They don't call up a professor and be like, an A? This guy? Come on. No, they just look at the transcript, they see the letter, and that's what matters. You could park in the teacher's lot all year round, but if the authority says it's okay, then it's okay. Now, I know i got some teachers in the room right now that might be thinking, I don't really like that. Parking in the teacher's lot, giving a kid an A that doesn't come to class, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. Well, I want to look today at what Jesus says. What would Jesus say? And he tells a story. And he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So the landowner in this situation is God. He says he goes out, finds workers for his vineyard, Tells them an agreed-upon wage, says, come work for me, I'll give you this amount of money, and they come and work for him. Then later in the day, he goes out and finds some more workers and brings them to the vineyard to work. So we've got two groups of people. We've got the people that have been there all day long, and you've got the people that have only been there a couple hours. So at the end of the day, the landowner goes to pay his employees. And he pays the people that have been there all day what he agreed with them that he would pay them. But then the other group... The group that had only been there a couple hours, he says, you know what, I'm feeling generous. 
I'm going to give you a full day's wages, even though he only worked a couple hours. And they were stoked. They were, they were super pumped about this. But the people that had been there all day, they were upset. They were angry and frustrated. And they said, this is not fair. Did they get the same as us? And they only worked a short amount of time. And this is how he responds. He says, am I not permitted to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Take what is yours and go. Now, I began following Jesus when I was a teenager, around 15, and, and I'm 35 now. So I've been following Jesus for about 20 years. And I used to read this story, and I used to think that, I used to relate to the people that have been there all day. And I used to think that part of being a Christian for a long time just means sucking it up and taking it, that there are people who are going to get into heaven that have only been saved, you know, later in life. And that's just, that's just how it is, and you just do it and don't complain. It's kind of what I thought. In my own immaturity, I thought this. However, I missed the point of the story. The point is that God does not give based on what we deserve. He is generous. You see, we are all the workers that join up at the end. We don't get what we deserve. You say God's not fair. I say you're right. God's not fair. Fair would be holding us to account of every misplaced word, every unthoughtful act, every time you yell at your spouse, every time you yell at your kids, every time you do anything wrong, you are held account. That is what would be fair. What we deserve is punishment for our crimes. And what is that punishment? Jesus says it himself. He says it's death. He says, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am who I claim to be. The wages of sin is death, but God is generous. God says, I have enough grace for you, and there's nothing that I didn't take into consideration when I made you. There are things that are going to happen in your life that surprise you, that just shock you, but God is not shocked. God knows you. He knows where you came from. He knows your family. He knows your flaws. He knows who your parents were. He knows everything about you. And he says, I have enough grace for you when you have faith in Jesus. So you're saved by your faith. I need to ask you, are you walking in your faith? You need to do things in order to cultivate your faith. So I'm going to share with you right now, here are three ways to cultivate your faith. Um, I'm going to reference a story in the Bible, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Jesus says some things to them. And I think the things that he says are things that could help us grow our faith. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background into this story first. So Mary and Martha were sisters, and they had a brother named Lazarus. And they knew Jesus. They knew Jesus at a time because earlier in Scripture, Mary sat at Jesus' feet. She poured her perfume out. And when Jesus was visiting a local religious leader, and they were having, they were having dinner and so they knew of Jesus, and when Lazarus, their brother, got sick, he was on his deathbed, he was really ill, they sent for Jesus. And they said, Jesus, please come. Please come and pray for him so that he may be healed. But Jesus doesn't make it in time. He arrives a couple days after Lazarus dies. And they're angry, they're hurt, they're frustrated. And Jesus says, let me see the body. And they go down to the tomb, which the tomb at that point was a cave with like a rock rolled in front of it. And Jesus goes to the tomb, and he says, roll the rock away. And they don't want to do it. This is kind of like, and I understand that, because if your uncle showed up like four days late for the funeral, and is like, I didn't get to see goodbye, let me, uh, let's dig up the body, let me take a look, you wouldn't do it. Not only is that a little bit disrespectful, but it's also not really practical. I mean, the body is going to be decomposing, it's going to smell, so they didn't want to do it. 
And this is what Jesus says. He says, didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God if you believe? Didn't I tell you you would see the glory of God if you have faith? He says, roll away that stone. So they roll it away, and he stands in the entrance, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. So the first thing I'd like to point out is that the story doesn't start with Lazarus' sickness. It starts with the relationship Lazarus had with Jesus and his two sisters. Here's how you cultivate faith. It starts with relationship. You can't practice faith without a relationship in Jesus. Some people come to God when they need something. They're at a low point in their life. They're up against a wall. They don't know what to do. And so they pray to God to bail them out. And I want to tell you that is not faith. I'm not saying that you shouldn't come to God if you have trouble. And I'm not saying God won't work in their life. But I just want you to understand that that's not what faith is. Faith is about relationship. And God knows the difference between being used and being in a relationship. So I used to work at a church, um, in a church office. So part of my responsibilities is I'd answer the phones. And people would call all the time asking for money. Because because we're a church, that we would just give money to whoever called up and asked. And one of the first questions I would ask is, do you attend church here? Do we have a relationship with you? And if the answer was yes, we do our best to help them. It might mean giving them money, but it might mean connecting them with somebody we know who's like hiring or we know their car's broken down, and we know a mechanic, or we know their situation, so we're able to help them. But if somebody called up and they didn't attend church here, it'd be a different conversation. And the issue is not that we don't want to help them. The issue is that we don't know them. And it's scary that the only people that they know to call are people that they do not even know. Where are the people that they have known their whole lives? We're the people who, can, who, can, who trust them, who know their character, who know their situation and the circumstances that brought them to where they are now. Now, I'm not saying that the church should only help people that attend the church. I'm not saying that. People, we're going to Mission to Milwaukee next week. We're going to help out a community of people that aren't ever going to come here. Good churches do that. But what I am saying is that it's not wise to invest the church resources in somebody that's trying to take advantage of you. People give money to the church every week. They do that because God has called us to trust him. When we have faith in him, we need to honor him with our finances. So people give to the church every week, and that's a huge responsibility. And that's something RCC takes really seriously. When you give here at RCC, we understand that it's God's money. And there's a weight, there's a responsibility that comes along with that. And it's wise to invest in the kingdom, when there's going to be fruit, it's not wise to give to just some random people that call you up that you don't know, that you don't have a relationship with. Some of you today are trying to get God to do things for you. A God that you don't listen to, a God that you don't serve, a God that you don't worship. And I'm not saying you shouldn't come to him, but I just don't want you to confuse that with having faith. Faith is about relationship. So Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha ask Jesus to come, but Jesus doesn't get there in time, and Lazarus dies. So what do you do then? You've done everything you know how to do. You've sent for God, and God doesn't seem to understand that you've got some trouble going on in your life. He doesn't seem to know that you've got a loved one who's sick. He doesn't seem to realize you've got bills that need to be paid. And so what do you do? 
What do you do when you can't do anymore? You need to enter a stage of release. How do you cultivate your faith? You need to release what you're holding on to. You've done everything you know how to do. It didn't work. You've prayed God didn't come. Here's what you do. You release it. You turn it over. God does not always respond in the ways we expect him to. Mary Martha asked Jesus to come when Lazarus was sick. And Jesus did come, but he arrived four days after Lazarus was already dead. And Mary was angry. She said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She was frustrated. She still maintained that relationship. She still called him Lord, but she let him know, God, Jesus, you screwed up. Jesus, you arrived too late. And it's okay to be angry with God. He can take it. But the relationship is just the beginning of faith. In order to cultivate your faith, you need to let go and trust God. You see, there are two realities. There's the physical reality, and there's the spiritual reality. And oftentimes we tend to think that this reality is the most important one because this is the one we're experiencing now. But let me tell you something. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in that moment. But Lazarus still died. Lazarus is not walking around today somewhere. Because this is not our permanent reality. People often think of Jesus as like the, the CEO of Christianity. So in like the corporate structure of, of Christianity, Inc., it, it's like all of us and then maybe the Pope and then, and then Jesus. And that's how people like picture it in their minds. But the fact is that Jesus didn't start one church. He didn't start one religion. He didn't start one denomination. Jesus did not come to build his kingdom in this world. He didn't need to. He brought one with him. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus gives us access to the kingdom when we have faith. And the more your faith grows, the more access to the kingdom you will have. But you need to release what you're holding on to. My last point, how you cultivate faith, you need to roll away the stone. So this is a natural thing. You got something in your life that you're ashamed of. You got something in your life you're you're not proud of, it's a mess, it's stinking up the place, you roll a stone in front of it. And I get it. It's how you manage your mess. I mean, Lazarus is dead. You can't leave him sitting there on the couch. I understand. But releasing it to Jesus doesn't mean that you don't have to deal with it. Sometimes people tell me that they don't like coming to church, and they say, church, you know, just a bunch of hypocrites at church. And I just kind of chuckled to myself because, well, you know, it's true. We're all struggling with stuff. We're all hypocrites about something. We're all human beings. We're all broken people. We all have some kind of contradiction in our life that stinks. It's a whole lot easier to be holy on Sunday than it is on Wednesday. In order to grow your faith, you need to be willing to roll that stone back. I mean, Jesus was going to perform a miracle. He was going to raise somebody from the dead. I mean, we're still talking about this story 2,000 years later. And Mary and Martha didn't want to do it. They didn't want to roll the stone away. And I get it. But in order to grow your faith, you have to let Jesus into every aspect of your life. You can't say, faith, I want you to take over the neighborhood. Just stay off 2nd Street. And there's no, nothing good going on there. Just everything else is fine. It doesn't work like that. So I'm going to end with this question. Are you walking out your faith? And for some of you, if you honestly look at yourself, 
The answer may be no. If that's the case, I want you to take heart because God is a God of restoration. Jesus himself says, my blood is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Forgiveness is always there for you if you have faith. Faith is a daily choice, though. And some of you might be thinking, I've been following Jesus for many years. I got this faith thing down. I'm good. But this is a dangerous mindset to have. You can't go to the doctor and be like, I had a salad six months ago. Or I did that, that push-up a couple of years back. It doesn't fly. It is a daily action. So if you've been following Jesus for a long time, I want to encourage you to finish the race strong. Don't trip right before the finish line. It is a daily choice. So I'm going to pray right now that each of us have the strength and the wisdom to walk in our faith this week. Would you please bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we know that it is a lot easier to talk about this stuff than it is to do it. It's a lot easier to think about faith on Sunday morning than it is on Wednesday. But I pray that you give us wisdom this week, that you give us the strength to follow you in the way that you lead us, in the, in the things that you've called us to do. Lord, we just, we love you, and we praise your holy name. Amen.